Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Romans chapter 8 verses 29 to 30. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become conformed the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, the Bible says, whom he did predestinate, them also, the Bible says, he called, and whom he called, them also he justified, and whom he justified, them also he glorified. But when you read this, the beginning of this calling, this justification, this glorification, the confirmation to the image of his son Jesus all began with one law that was activated in ancient times, and that was the law of predestination. You know, tonight I want to teach about the law of predestination because we see that by this law, the confirmation to the image of the son came to this law, our calling came because of this law. Our justifications came because of this law. Our glorification came. What a powerful law. And because of that, we realize that the end of this predestination, which was in the unseen realm, became the end of our glorification, which was in the physical realm. In other words, the law of predestination is the law behind the power and the glory of manifestation. If you never understand how the law of predestination works, you will never function fully in the mysteries of divine manifestations. All right? All of us live a life of faith and salvation to this end, that everything we have and can connect to and relate with in the spirit, we can translate to manifestation. How many ministries are inside people and they are not yet manifested how many glories plural are inside us that are not yet manifested in the world how much wealth is inside you that is not manifested in the world how much wisdom is inside you that is not yet given to the world how much understanding is inside your spirit but is not yet given to the world so it's one thing to have all these things, given everything that pertains to life and godliness. The Bible says, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But to translate all of these spiritual experiences, for them to come to a place where they can manifest in our lives, is a wonderful story to see when the manifestation fully comes through. And God likens a place of a man who has all this potential without the manifestation of these things as a woman which became pregnant but was not able to bring forth child. That's a very frustrating experience, okay? And so if this particular law determines the place of our manifestations, all right? And of course, we understand that the law of manifestation is a subjected factor to the law of predestination. One has to take place for the other to take place. Without the other taking place, we cannot have one taking place. We need to understand how this works. All right? We need to understand how this works. Because when you do, and I pray to God that you do, I've been in a season of praying for people. It's been multiple visions upon visions in my time of prayer. But also I have had quite a number of people in the same zone and space of tuning in the spirit who have you know, been sharing with me. I like convictions that quite a number of the Christians in this season have not yet grasped what is happening. They seem and appear like they are, but a lot have not yet grasped, you know. And in prayer, I can see that quite a number of Christians have not yet grasped 
what is happening in the moment. And words cannot suffice. But I know that in the consequent weeks and days, some of you will have personal experiences of God, you know, helping you understand either your place as of whether you are among them that have not yet grasped or you are among them that have grasped and have to intercede for some to grasp. It's one thing to assume you have when you haven't. And it's another thing to think you haven't when you have. It takes the judgments of God and I pray that by wisdom, he will direct an order and help you have understanding. But there are certain keys that I want to give you. And in giving you these keys, I am hoping that I will give you a very clear understanding of how the law of predestination works. And if you understand how these keys operate, then manifestation will be easy for you. The things that are inside you will come out. They'll manifest. You will see them with your eyes. These are things that the Lord started to show me many years ago. And they have revolutionized my thinking and understanding of ministry, of life, of finances, of, you know, every aspect that touches to your life and godliness, okay? And to even think that God has catered for every aspect that touches your life and godliness. It means there is nothing you'll ever place a demand for from God that God has not already dealt with. He has dealt with everything that you could ever need in life and everything that you could ever need touching godliness, all right? And these are the things, these are the liberties that we're starting to, you know, teach. And I know why they are for this hour, okay? Fundamentally, one of the primal keys that I need to give you, I'll probably give you about five of them. But one of the primal keys under which all these other things are going to be built upon is this understanding, and you will note this, that not all laws in the spirit realm are equal, okay? Some laws are higher than other laws. And because some laws are higher than other laws, it means that some laws also are subject to other laws. Okay? And I had mentioned that earlier. That, for example, the law of seed and harvest. Okay? The Bible says, For as long as the earth remaineth, there shall be a time for seed and harvest. Seed time and harvest. Alright? It means, without... A seed, you cannot have a harvest. It's not possible. Without the activation of the law of seed time, you can never have a harvest. It's a cause effect. Of course, some of you will say, oh, but the Bible says you'll have houses, you never built vineyards, you never planted. Because you did not build a house or planted that vineyard, did I mean that somebody did not plant it? No. You only entered into another man's labors. That's the law of exchange. Okay? That doesn't mean that somebody out there did not apply the law and principle of seed time, you know. So some laws are higher than others, and some are subject to others. That's why I mentioned that the law of manifestation is subject to the law of predestination, okay. We cannot have a manifestation without a sort of predestination, and I'll justify these things as I go on, you know, along the way. That is why we're saying we're teaching predestination that will get to the end of the glorification you know, of us. And in that glorification, consequently, automatically, will come a manifestation of the Spirit. All right? Now, there are degrees. There are degrees that are mandated to the law of predestination. They are mandated under the law of predestination. Because when we discuss predestination, there's a huge confusion with individuals. Is predestination absolute? That if God said that you're going to be this, that's what you'll be, and there's no way it can change? Or is it conditional? Huh? Is predestination based on, I have said you'll be this, but only if you do that? Okay? This is a question. Because some people say, okay, if God made me to be bad, what's the point of you preaching the gospel to me? If somebody says, okay, if God said that this person will never be this way, why would you want to change them that way? Or how do we know? that this person was actually made that way, all right? And now you see a lot of contentions within humanity. We are now starting to debate the values and morals and many other standards of understanding because there is a huge confusion between what is conditional and what is absolute. Did God say that, you know, for you you are meant to be poor or, you know, that it was already ordained by God that your marriage would fail? or that your children would have go through this, 
and there are things that Christians ignorantly accept in the name of predestination. Oh, I think this is happening to me because God has a bigger plan of this and that. And in some, there's absoluteness. In some, there's conditionality. But we need the reconciliation of that because people do not have that judgment. Some have accepted, you know, the workings of darkness in their lives and they've hit shipwreck because they think that it's part of their destiny to go through that. Not everything that befalls you is predestinated by God that way. Some things are that you have walked out of certain conditions of the Spirit, but they are also absolutes depending on which degree you're functioning under. You understand? I'll give you a typical example. Let's discuss the general consecrations in Scripture, okay? the general consecrations for mankind, you know, versus our individual distinctions. Okay? Because when we look at these degrees, in the individual distinctions of our lives, there are degrees. And in the general consecrations of mankind, there are degrees as well. What do I mean by the general consecrations? For example, when the Bible says in Genesis that uh, he created them, male and female, created he them, and the Lord blessed them. He blessed mankind. And he told them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That was a general consecration for humanity. You understand? So yes, in the place of the fall, we lost some of these things. But in losing of those things, it does not mean that God had not ordained man generally for that. So there are those things that follow. And those are the things that give, you know, bread to the heathen and rain to the wicked as well. God is not going to say, oh, this man is so wicked, therefore I'm going to deny him food. Or this woman is going to be wicked, so when rain falls on the righteous field, the wicked woman shall not have rain. No, there are those general consecrations that God has given in his only infinite wisdom and love for mankind to have, okay? But also there are predestinations that are individualistic in nature because they define the distinction of our assignments, okay? For example, when you go in the Old Testament, the Bible says, and before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. He said in Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you. The Bible says, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto nations. I ordained you to be a prophet unto nations. This was an individual predestination. God singled out a certain man and put a distinction on him and said, before you were formed, in your mother's womb, you shall be a prophet unto me and to nations. All right? That is distinctive. Not everyone in Jeremiah's day was a prophet in his rank or degree. Not everyone in Isaiah's day was a prophet in rank. Not everybody in Elijah and Elisha's day were equal in rank. All right? But there are also some distinctions that come with individuals. All right? And God, in his own infinite wisdom, knows why. He makes them the way they are, that all men, for example, can sing to a certain degree, okay? You can say, oh, every man can try to sing, yes. And if training is given, some people can improve to a certain level where they can maintain something. But not all can sing a certain way, you understand? And so it goes in different arts, that, oh, yes, probably all men can play a music instrument if they are taught. But not all of them become masters in these things. Sometimes there's that extra thing that... God, you know, infuses in a man that extra ingredient that God puts into the man's gene and that creates the distinction and that again is attached to, you know, our predestinations, okay? So sometimes we confuse the two to think that all men are equal in predestination. Not all men are equal in predestination, but there are predestinations that are general for all mankind. One other key I need to share with you, there are also boundaries or limits touching our covenants, right? When it comes to this law of predestination, okay? There are boundaries or limits touching the covenants that we are functioning under when it comes to this law of predestination, okay? It has its limitation. When a man is in one dispensation of the covenant, it's different from when you are in another covenant, okay? In the Old Testament dispensation, for example, when we were under the law, God had predestined the law 
to do certain things a certain way. And that doesn't mean that it has changed. It has not changed. But only men change depending on the covenant they are under. Okay? If in the Old Testament he had given conditions and said, if you do this, I'll do that. That's just how it is. If a man submits himself to the law, okay, the Bible says if you break one, you break all. That's a principle. You cannot say, oh, you know, I'm under the law, but you know, I'm exempted by some graces. No, the Bible is clear. Whosoever shall keep the whole law. If a man says, for example, that I'm willing to go under the law and submit myself to the law, to the ministry of the law, the Bible says, if you offend in one, the Bible says, you're guilty of all. You're guilty of all. There's no salvation of that. All right? God has predestinated the law to be that way. But when a man gets into the covenant of the New Testament, which is grace, that also varies. For all have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. This is the New Testament. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned, yes. We in the New Testament as well have sinned as the people of the old or people under the law. And we fall short of the glory of God in our actions like the people under the law. But the difference between our covenant is we are being justified freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament, Christ had not become the propitiation yet of the sins of men because he had not shed his blood at Calvary. But now we live in the generation, the dispensation, where the propitiation of our sins had already taken place. And the Bible says not only for us, but for the world as well. Okay, And because you and I are under a new covenant, our predestination changes. There's a change to it. There's a change to it because of the covenant under which you are. All right. So when we teach the law versus grace message and we say we believe in the grace and the ministry of God's grace, it is because we know what our covenants can do in the end of either limiting or releasing the law of predestination to fully work in our lives. And consequently, this in the end defines the glory in which we function. It defines the manifestations of the Spirit. When I understood how grace, the message works. Healing became so easy for me. But I can tell you, healing is a very hard thing to do when a man is under the law. Divine health for the individual or healing of the sick. And I'm speaking that with all the authority that I've seen a blind eye open, a deaf ear here, the mad come to sanity, the crippled walking, tumors disappearing. I've seen all manner of miracles. All right? I can speak that with that authority and tell you that people who are under the law struggle to manifest the power of God. But that goes beyond the miraculous. Look at the world religions. Islam is a religion of works. They cannot demonstrate power. All right? Hinduism, Confucianism, the list is endless. You know, they are all ministries of works. They are not religions of grace. And that is why it's easy to find demonstration under the ministries that are preaching grace. Christianity is a ministry of grace. If a man has not understood that, you cannot represent Christianity, the message. You cannot. Peter says, grow ye in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow ye in grace. He doesn't grow in the law. He's saying, grow ye in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You have to grow in it. You have to grow in it. All right? Now, when it comes to this, I'll give you an example. If somebody is under the law and they read a New Testament scripture, but with an Old Testament mentality, you realize that they'll not only misinterpret God, but they'll create a limitation not only on their lives, but also for other people that are beyond the conversation. Let me give you a typical example. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible speaks of how we have been predestinated 
unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. And the Bible says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us acceptable in the beloved. Do you know how many people read that scripture and think, okay, if we're predestinated to be adopted as children by Jesus Christ himself, it means that the salvation plan began before the world was formed. And therefore then, why do we judge those that go to hell and those that don't receive this God if the predestination is there already to the adoption of the children, to be the children of Christ according to the good pleasure of God's will? How do we know then that whether this person has refused to be born again because in God's original plan they were not meant, all right, because they quote scriptures of how there is a remnant by grace, all right? And it seems small, but that's one of the biggest debates that we have in the Christian faith. Those of you who have read theology and probably have read deeply, it's the biggest war between Calvinists and the Arminians, all right? Is it ordained that some people will receive Christ and some won't, therefore we shouldn't judge those who won't? Or... Is it that all men are supposed to be receiving Christ? All right? This is a question there. But why do we then have limitations that are causing questions between us, yeah, the debaters? It is simple because we do not have a clear understanding of the law of predestination. All right? But then there's a challenge of reading one you know, text in Scripture and then concluding and defining it just based on where it is without looking at the entirety of God's mind on the thing or zooming out to see the bigger picture in the covenant that we are discussing. That is why when the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Lord and Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. There's already a war between some individuals because if you're saying that our salvation is predestinate and there are scriptures that are speaking of objects of mercy, objects of wrath, okay? So how do I know that I'm an object of wrath or I'm an object of God's mercy? How do I know whether God intended me to be judged or not to be judged, all right? But here is the answer. It's in the same covenant. That is why God asks, who are you, O clay, to judge your porter? Because it means that some people sometimes judge divine things with carnal mind, carnal understanding. And so they miss out on the picture of what God is entirely trying to reveal to us. Eh? If God is saying that we are not objects of mercy, or those people are not objects of mercy, so yeah, if they rebel, they are rebelling because it's the will of God for them to rebel. And those of you who are born again, you are obedient because it's the will of God for you to be obedient. No, the Bible is clear. He wills that all men be saved and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. All. All men. He wills it. In other words, there's a plan of God predestinated for the salvation of every man. But it's up to the man's will. You can choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. You can refuse to take him. You can allow and accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. It's up to you. It's your choice. But people judge God, yet he has given humanity will, individual will. You have the will says that you're not wired as a robot, okay? Because the invitations of love have to allow will, the law of will, the course of will to take precedence. That's the only way love can be invited, you know? You cannot say that somebody loves you when you force them to love them. Uh -huh. You cannot say that somebody loves you when you tune them to love you. You can only say somebody loves you because you give them the liberty to choose between loving you and not loving you, and they with their own initiative and leading, you know, chose to love you. You know, they were invited to it. They were not forced or configured into it. All right? And so God wills that all men be saved. But we will have these debates even in the covenant because many people don't understand yet the covenant that they are in. We still have a number of Christians and believers who are functioning with an Old Testament mentality in a New Testament dispensation. So if the letter kills, what does it mean? It means that whatever you will do under the letter will die. Some people are not suffering loss and frustration in their lives because particularly some demons are attacking them, family demons and generational curses. No, some people have actually failed to manifest the glory of God and the power of God because they have failed to be tuned 
to the covenant that they're supposed to be functioning under in prayer, in faith, and all that. I'll give you an example. When the Bible says that be anxious about nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. Why does he bring the thanksgiving in the New Testament dispensation? Because he has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing the heavenly blesses Christ Jesus. So if he has given you everything, why would you then go to ask again? Right? That's why Jesus said, in that day you shall ask me nothing. You shall ask me nothing. Oh, and then somebody says, oh, but the Bible says whatsoever you ask and believe that you have received it, you shall have that which you have asked for. Yes, what is asking in this dispensation? In the New Testament, what is asking? In the New Testament dispensation, asking is not begging. But in the Old Testament dispensation, we saw men begging. And God answered them as beggars, right? Because they were under that covenant. You're a new creation individual. Your life and experience with God is not a place of debate and begging. You cannot ask God to heal you. Because you'll say, by my stripes you were healed. You cannot ask God for financial breakthrough. Because you'll say, I was made poor, so you become rich. You cannot ask God for wisdom. Because you'll say, I became your wisdom. You know, you cannot ask God to make you holy. No. The Bible says you have been created in true holiness. The new man is created in true holiness. I know people teach it that way. Oh, ask God to make you holy. No, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.24, you have put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Meaning there's a false holiness. And the false holiness is a holiness that is after works. But a true holiness comes with a certain nature. Praise God, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah. Now, these things seem small, but if you never understand them, it doesn't matter how many churches you'll visit, how many deliverance services you'll visit, how many overnights you'll go to, how many prophets, pastors, and evangelists you'll visit, you will never have a breakthrough. Because God cannot go against the laws that he has set for your success. He said, I have sent my word. He says, these words that I speak to you, he says they are spirit and they are life. The Bible says he sent a word in Jacob and it lit Israel. It's the only way. Until Christianity understands that we cannot dodge the word for any excuse, not gifting, not charisma, not excitement, no fantasy, nothing in the faith should make us dodge this thing. You can run all the way you want, but... This is what he left us because he knew by this you shall wage a good war. By this you shall overcome and have victory. By this you shall have peace. By this you'll have joy. By this you shall have divine health and everything that pertains to life and godliness. This is a way. Now, let me go a bit deeper now. Let's come to the New Testament dispensation. Again, like I said, there are degrees of mandate depending on the covenant that you're under. If you are in the Old Testament dispensation, all right, there are things that touch that. If you're in the New Testament dispensation, there are things that touch that. Okay? If we're talking of a general conversation for mankind, there are predestination principles that touch that. But if you're talking also of the individual, you know, there are also principles that touch that. But when we get to the New Testament, God becomes more individualistic. That is why people say, or you have heard the saying, that salvation is personal. Or when you're receiving Jesus Christ, they say, I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. You cannot receive Jesus for your family. You cannot receive Jesus Christ for your community. All right? And so, with this comes more understanding. Now, if we are to go more into the New Testament, and I want you to note this, the laws of predestination, are activated on the foundations, and I want you to note that, they are activated on the foundations of our individual worlds, eons, periods, and the understanding of the liberties of the Spirit when it comes to the New Testament. It's a long statement, but I'll justify it, I'll validate it, I'll explain it. All right? When it comes to the new creation, you who is born again, the law of predestination connects itself to your world your eon, your period, 
the opportunity that is granted you for space in the realm of the Spirit. Every man has a space in the realm of the Spirit, whether born again or not. If you're not born again, your space of the spirit realm is usually or mostly controlled by darkness. But when you become born again, your space of the spirit realm is controlled by light. It's controlled by the person of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, God says here, much as in the New Testament there are things that I've spoken, all right, that are general. I have made you, for example, like I read, being made to be conformed, were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. That's a reality. That's so deep. In other words, everyone who is after the Old Testament into the new, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and has received him as his personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says he has been made to be conformed. There is a pre-configured predestination. There is a preset preordination, right? by God, for you to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image, the acorn, the spiritual representation. That means when you're born again, Satan looks at you and you look like Jesus. So that's what you look like. But you can frustrate that reality depending on the world that has been built around you based on the doctrines that have been taught, all right, the things you know and the things you don't know, all right, much as it is given to us, all right, there's a condition for that to be active in our lives. And that condition is simple, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, the wisdom of God. If you to the devil appear like Christ himself, how can you be scared that a devil entered your house at night. I know people who cannot sleep without the lights on because they fear when they switch off, something will creep in the darkness and do something to them. And you speak in tongues. And you are born again. And you've been made conformable to the image of the Son. How can that be? How can that be? How can that be? There's a bigger challenge here. All right? So, where do we begin from? Do we begin by telling you don't fear? Or actually, we should ask you, how come you fear when the devil knows who you are? He knows who you are. And that is why the teaching of faith is for the shaping of the eons, the worlds. What do I mean by eons? Worlds. Because in the Bible, there are two words here for world. World, cosmos, the physical world we see, that's cosmos. All right? Worlds is the spiritual realm. Right? that is attached to the individual, all right? The times and periods that are attached to you in the spirit realm that grant you opportunity, access, and liberties, all these kinds of things that become the personal world, all right? For example, when you hear people saying, in my world, there is no poverty. What do they mean? Does that mean that there is no poverty in the world? No. It means that they have individualized this to their spaces in the spirit. Okay? And it depends on what you invite in your spaces of the Spirit. Some people are born of light, but they invite darkness by ignorance, because ignorance is darkness. All right? The people who are not born again, they are already under darkness. The Bible says they are called children of darkness. The Bible says you've been translated from darkness into His marvelous light. If somebody is not born again, their space spiritually is dark, however good they are. When you become born again, your space is filled with light, however unstable you might be. However unstable you might be. Because this is no longer about morality. This is about a nature. It's about a nature. Okay? So there are some people that struggle to reconcile this. And because of that, you have failed to manifest the glory and the power of God, which was ordained for you. So let's continue a bit because there's something I wanted to explain here. So God said here that the laws of this predestination are activated, put into work based on how your world is shaped. Yes, they are available, but they are not active until you embrace a certain world of understanding. Right? Because in that world is your understanding, your opinion, your view, your wisdom, your knowledge of a thing. All right? But also, 
in the understanding of the liberties of the spirit, how much free do you think or know that you are? I'm not talking about assume. I'm talking about guessing. I'm talking about what your mind has collected over the past touching liberties of the spirit, but of things that you have actually not worked therein for justification or for your understanding. You know, it's one thing for people to say, oh, God set me free. But are you free physically? Is there a manifestation of that freedom? Because the liberties of the spirit do not begin by what we see physical. They begin by what we apply ourselves spiritually. Spiritually, right? That is why when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a conditional spirit that is given to those who have embraced Jesus Christ. Okay? There's a limitation on the law of predestination in function if a man does not have the Holy Spirit and is not born again. If a man becomes born again, the boundaries of that limitation are extended to favor the man. All right? For example, if I have the Holy Spirit, God has a different understanding of a man who has the Spirit versus a man who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says in Corinthians that the Holy Spirit it reveals to us the things that are freely given unto us by Christ. All right? He says we've not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given unto us by Christ. So if you have the Holy Spirit, there is a preconceived understanding, at least the heavens expect of you as you read this word, to know the things that are freely given unto you in Christ. Now, when you understand the things that are freely given unto you in Christ, that also shapes your prayer. Why? Because why would you ask for what is already freely given? Why would you ask for what is already freely given? And what are those things that we should really seek after? Because they define our freedom in Christ. When you understand that, then you're tuned into the liberties of the Spirit. All right? So the world that you see spiritually, the world that you are attuned to, if your world is full of hate, okay, you limit the fullness of the law of predestination and consequently you frustrate your calling, you frustrate the justifications of the spirit, you frustrate the glories of the spirit. All right? You frustrate all of that because the law of predestination has its complete course and the end of that is supposed to be for the glory of the child of God, for the manifestation of God's power upon your life. All right? So if your world is full of light, understanding, hope, peace, joy, that, in a way, allows the law, which is already preset, eh, predestinated, based on the faith, the place, the covenant, the relationship, the realm, the degree under which you function, to freely work through you. So it's available for us all. But we all carry limitations to it based on where we are with God, based on what we know and what we don't know. All right? And that's how it works. So when I say that these laws are activated, it means they are available. But the law of predestination is activated based on the world that you form around you and the understanding of the liberties that you have in the spirit. You search those things and seek to know those things. You'll see that manifestation is actually a result. It's not a work. It's not even an application of any sort. It's simply a result. All right? That, for example, if a man and a woman come together, biological processes will take place. And if those biological processes take place, consequently, a child will come. That is, if the man is normal as according to God's mind, and the woman is normal as according to God's mind. Regardless of anything, there will be conception, manifestation. This child will come out. The woman will conceive. She's 100% normal and the man is 100% normal. They will conceive a child. So the manifestation of that child is a preset thing because it follows the law of predestination. God has ordained men to have children. He said, none among them shall be buried, not even their cattle. And if you're watching me, and your womb is barren, this is the moment to seize your miracle. Seize it. Seize it. Seize it. Seize it. Last year, end of last year, I believe, I spoke to a lady 
who had gone to the doctor and, you know, that cut her tubes and they said, you will not have children again. And I told her, you're going to have a child. Kept quiet. She sent me a message last month. She conceived. She conceived. Because the word of God doesn't know what doctors have done in your body. It doesn't know what is working and what isn't working. No. That one overrides everything. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, because of that, there are elevations, there are various elevations that come in our manifestation. There are various degrees of manifestation increase. They increase, all right? And so, because of that, I have seen this, that because of the liberties of the Spirit, it is possible for a man, a new creation believer, to change anything. Anything. If it was not possible, he would not have said things such as whatsoever or whosoever shall say to this mountain or whatsoever you shall ask. Whatsoever? 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 Yes, whatsoever. Whosoever? Yes, whosoever asks whatsoever. If they are under a certain covenant, it shall be done. He said, for the Christ that Timotheus, Silvanus, that Christ that they preached, the Bible says, in him was no nay. Because I have people who say, oh, sometimes God will not grant you this because, no, no, listen, of course it depends on your levels of maturity because our maturations define our relationship in prayer and understanding of how to commune in these transactions of the spirit to know what to ask and what not to ask. It's a wisdom that comes to the mature. If your child tells you, buy me a gun, you don't buy them a real gun. You buy them a toy gun. Why do you buy them a toy gun? Because they don't need a real gun. But if they ask for a real gun and you buy for them a real gun, then you have a problem. But they're asking because they're children. Every time an adult buys a gun, they know why they need that gun. They know why they need that gun. And so, because of that, we see that these increases, these elevations, these degrees, of manifestations increase on our lives, particularly because of our maturity. And I'll read for you something. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15, if you read the Amplified Version, it says, study and be eager. And now I'm going to bring back the conversation of why we must understand this. He says, study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God Approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the word of truth. The word of truth. So these increases and elevations are applied only by the mature who have obtained the skill of interpreting the nature and design of Logos. Because there's a way Logos is designed. There's a nature that Logos, the word of God, is designed. But when you obtain skill, the skillful use of the word, I'm talking about people who apply the word, I plead the blood because they're in trouble. Oh, I apply this because they've gotten bad news. They are reacting to the word of God by anxiety. I'm talking about people who have, you know, exercised themselves in the way of Logos. They have understood the nature and design of Logos. And because of that, they have matured. And now they handle the word of God with skill. With skill. With skill. Here he's talking about the handling and skillful teaching of the word of truth. That means that the word had skill to it. It's like you've seen bikers riding bikes. The people who just ride bikes, bicycles, and they just ride them. But there are people who have skill, you know, and can put off a show in riding these bikes. There are people who drive cars, but there are people who are skilled in a certain way in the driving of these cars. So yes, some arts can be done by anybody, but there are people who have invested time into the skillful manifestation of these things. And so you'll ask me, how do I handle this skillfulness? How do I grow into skillfulness? Well, I'll share with you a few things. Number one, every skill is mastered by exercise. How exercised are you in the word? 
How much do you read the word and speak it? How much do you read the word and speak it? It's one of those ways in obtaining skill because exercise, the continuous doing of a thing, always grows a man into a sort of mastery. Right? How often do you read the word and speak it? If you're watching me right now and you've been struggling in any way of your life, let's go back to how much you personally read the word and speak the word. You'll see that there's a challenge. There's an explanation of why you still have trouble in your life. You don't speak the word like you should. You don't read the word like you should. All right? The other thing is understanding the wisdom of God, how the wisdom of God works. Applying yourself to the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of God draws the foundation of your understanding and knowledge in the word. Some people have a knowledge in the word of whose wisdom they are not connected to. They have not yet built a relationship with the wisdom of God. And so even though they speak things that become knowledge, this knowledge carries no power because it does not have the principal thing, wisdom. And not that Christ has not become their wisdom, but they have not connected to that which Christ has become to them. Through communion. You know, through communion. How often do you just sit with God and learn of him? Why did he give you the Holy Spirit? The primary minister of the Holy Spirit was to teach you was to teach you he says you shall receive the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name and the bible says he'll bring all things into remembrance he shall teach you all things and bring you all things to remembrance he'll teach you the primary ministry of the holy spirit is not to heal you it's to teach you the healings are simply manifestations of his teaching the demonstrations of the spirit are simply manifestations of his teaching many men are taught of men than they are taught of God. He says the Spirit in the last days speaks expressly that men shall teach doctrines of devils even as the doctrines of Christ. Even as the doctrines of Christ. So who teaches you? How are you taught of God? How are you taught of God? Who teaches you? The person of the Holy Spirit. How connected are you in that relationship? Because when this wisdom comes and you carry a certain understanding, Skill comes, all right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The actions you choose to do in your way of faith also skill you in the way of the word. When you say you're healed, what do you do after? When you say you're rich, what do you do after? All of these things are there to skill you up enough so you handle the word of God skillfully. Now you'll fulfill what God has ordained for every believer in Christ. For the Bible says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus and two good works. All right. The Amplified says that we are his workmanship recreated in Christ, born anew. He says that we might do those good works which God predestined, planned, prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. No man can quote that when they're not born again. When you are born again, you better indeed live the life that was prearranged for you and made ready for you to live. Salvation is a life of living good. You know, I've had men who preach. Some people say salvation is straight. It is, it is straight. Oh, some people think that everything in life will be good. It should be good. Notwithstanding that challenges and attacks can come, but how you understand, how your eon is shaped, your worlds are shaped, how your liberties in the spirit are understood by you, how the wisdom of God and the skillfulness of the word of God works in your life determines whether you're going to have a good life or you're going to have shortfalls. And some people, when they have shortfalls and mischiefs, they create doctrines around that and then bring Bondage to everybody who watches them or listens to them. Listen, it is possible, and God has ordained it for the life of salvation, to go upward and upward. The Bible says the path of the just shines brighter and brighter 
and brighter unto a perfect day. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. That is my testimony. I'm expecting good tomorrow. I'm expecting good next month. I'm expecting good next year. And oh, brother, I have stories in my past that have tested me. Are you hearing me? But I have been victorious in each one of them and I've come out better than the way I entered. So I even count it all joy when diverse temptations and trials come. For I know that the excellence of his power, his peace, his joy, his strength is going to manifest in my life as his patience has its full work and course, working in me a certain character and building in me a certain faith. And in that faith, I don't fail. I win every time. We want you to live a life that at the end of the day, people will say, he lived a victorious life in Christ. She lived a triumphant life in Christ. That's what God preordained for you. You're God's workmanship created in Christ and two good works for which you were preordained, predestinated that you might walk in them, that you will have a good life, that you'll live a good life that was prearranged and made ready for you. Your marriage is ready. Your career is ready. Do you see it ready? Your business is ready. Do you see it ready? Your ministry is ready. The word readiness there is harvest. Look at the harvest. Christ is the seed. Look at the harvest. Christ is the seed. He has given you everything. He has given you everything. So you have no excuse to be limited in God's predestination because his predestination is for your liberty. In Christ. Father, we thank you for the words that you have said to us tonight. We receive every word shared in the mighty name of Jesus. And I decree and I declare for every man and woman at the sound of my voice, you enter a deeper, more glorious experience of divine manifestation. Receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. I want to ask you right now to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for my life. I believe that you died and rose again for my glory. Tonight, I receive you my personal Lord and Savior. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. Thank you.